Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, folks, it's almost time to ring in a new year, and chances are you're hoping 2024 will be better than 2023. I mean, let's go Brandon, right? But politics aside, let's talk about health. The number one American resolution with each new year is to lose weight and get in shape. Well, thanks to those magical little shots, that might be a little easier this year, but is that the way to go? And speaking of shots, Big Pharma is begging us to take all the jabs, but with confidence and science waning, many of us are saying that's a hard no. Another hard no, puberty blockers and hormones for minors to cure gender confusion. Here to weigh in on it all, from Ozempic to the pharma industrial complex and more, is fitness expert and host of Keeping It Real Conversations with Jillian Michaels. Jillian Michaels, thank you so much for being with me. We are big fans here in the studio, and we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, it's absolutely mutual, and thank you for having me. I want to start off with... Ozempic. So this has been probably a solid two years now. Every yeah. housewife on Bravo seems to be on Ozempic. We know that Oprah has admitted to being on Ozempic. It seems to be the cure-all, people dropping weight quickly. Doesn't seem to be a lot of side effects, but you're kind of the expert in this space. What's your take on that magical little shot? Well, look, here, here's my position on it. If it was a miracle cure, I promise you I would be in the business because being the anti for things like this is not actually profitable. I could partner up with them. I could white label my app. I could have them finance a TV show about it. So I want to lay my intentions out there and be as transparent as possible. I genuinely think these drugs are dangerous. We don't know what the long-term side effects of being on them looks like. And the reality is that if you look at the side effects, you're going to see things like gallbladder issues, pancreatitis, kidney problems. We know there's gastrointestinal issues. Stomach paralysis is now becoming more and more prevalent. There's a class action lawsuit against Novo Nordisk, who makes the semi-glutide drugs for that. Um, we're seeing muscle loss, bone loss, accelerated facial aging, skin sagging, and the list goes on and on. And if you think, okay, well, obesity is also dangerous. Yes, it absolutely is. It's deadly. It's associated with over 170 comorbidities. However, we can lose weight in a healthier way with none of these dangerous side effects that are also costly. And in addition, you never get off the drugs. So if you said to me, well, Jill, it's kind of like Chantix for smoking. You're on it for six months to a year. You feel crappy. There's some side effects, but it's a permanent fix. I'd be like, well, shut I, you know, ah, okay, I guess maybe let's look at the cost benefit analysis a little more closely, but ultimately you'll plateau on it. If you get off of it, all of the meta analyses say that you gain it all back and then some. You have to be on these things for the rest of your life. And to me, that's just, it's a non-starter in my personal and quite honestly professional opinion. 
So what do you say to those that want to be on Ozempic or the generics of that because they want to yeah. get the weight off and then they say, hey, listen, I'm just training myself to eat less and then I can go off of it and continue that lifestyle. People that do want to work out, they eat healthy for the most part, but this has just helped them to maybe eat less and train themselves to eat less and they, and they really are on it for six months to a year. Do you think that maybe that might help jumpstart people into the, the health and wellness lifestyle? Maybe there could be another side to this that would help some people? If any of the data suggested that actually happened, I would be with you, but it doesn't. We know in overwhelming studies that have been done that when people get off of the drugs, they gain the weight back. They're not being trained to eat less food, they're being chemically induced to do so. When you remove the chemicals that are inhibiting appetite, appetite comes back. So if that was the case, yes, I'd be behind it 100%, but it isn't. Where I do believe that these drugs could be beneficial, and this is through interviewing doctors like Dr. William Lee or Dr. Peter Atia, who everybody loves, as a life or death intervention for people who are dangerously overweight, 400 pounds, 500 pounds, right? Then yes, I think we've got to do something. We've got to intervene immediately and get a grip on what's really going on, right? But most people are doing this to lose 20 pounds. And I, I, I have zero judgment. It's your body. It's your life. It's just my job to say, hey, listen, there's a host of side effects here. It's very expensive. You never get off of the drug. You're a patient for life. That's it. And if you do, you're going to keep all the accelerated facial aging, all the sagging skin, the muscle loss, and a significantly slowed metabolism that will cause you to yo-yo in a huge way. The pendulum's going to swing all the way back over, and the data shows us that. Right. So let's talk about the other side of that coin, and that's the, the other side of pop culture, which seems to be this obesity worship. You have people saying, you know, big is beautiful. We know that there's been campaigns surrounding this, and I'm not talking about being a little overweight, a little chubby. There is obesity worship in, in people like Lizzo and others in pop culture, and I think it's sending a really mixed message, to, especially to young women, because you don't want them to be this heroin chic like you're seeing with the Kardashians and others. But then on the other side of that is obesity that they're being told is beautiful and is the new normal. So how do you combat that in the messaging? And do you think that this obesity worship might actually be worse than the worship of thinness or skinniness? I think they're flip sides of the exact same coin. I think the exact same people who have a virtue signaled and said, oh, this is so great. You know, this is this is the new norm because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty has nothing to do with this. We're talking about health. Health is quantifiable. And being obese is not healthy. We know this. We've known this for decades now. And those who are like, oh, go girl, you know, with the plus size mannequins and all of that. And like, you do you, this is so great, but I'm gonna take Ozempic to lose 20 pounds. It's just the hypocrisy is mind boggling. And even when you look at an individual like Oprah, who's like, ah, oh, just giving myself some grace. I just, you know, I'm embracing this. Really, are you? Because now you're on Ozempic. And again, I don't judge her. I also question the motives there. I mean, Oprah is a huge stakeholder in Weight Watchers and Weight Watchers now in the business of selling these drugs. 
So you got to follow the money here. Um, I think both of these messages are equally dangerous in their own right. I think they're flip sides of the same coin. And I think common sense here, it's like eat whole foods, move a little more, right? Like if you do these things, you get your sleep, you drink your water, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to give up cake for the rest of your life. It's just about balance and moderation. And if these drugs did one good thing, they proved what you know the non-fattists in my world, like myself, have been saying for decades. If you eat less food, you will lose weight. But right. the key to maintaining metabolism and muscle and bone density is going to be doing it with exercise. Right. So I want to talk about another study right now that's shocking and disturbing, and that's that there has been a spike in obesity amongst two to four-year-olds. I mean, yeah. that to me is borderline yeah. child abuse. What do you attribute that to? Is it that our food is really that bad? Is it that parents are giving the wrong kind of foods or giving too much of the foods? I mean, two to four years old to be obese on that spectrum, that's startling yeah. in the United States of America. What you have going on is a toxic triad. You really do. You've got big farming creating crap, absolute crap, GMO corn and soy and wheat and rice covered in pesticides and chemicals with no nutrients and no fiber. Then big food capitalizes on it and makes garbage food. And then they mess with it. They get their neuroscientists to come in and make the food that much more addictive. And we know like you can't eat just one. That's real. We know that these foods impact the dopamine center of our brain just the same way that nicotine and cocaine does. These foods are designed to addict you. And that's really what's going on. We're psychologically hungry. We're more lonely than ever. We're more stressed than ever. Kids aren't going outdoors to play anymore. They all have FOMO because they're not on social media at the parties or they don't look the way they think they're supposed to look and so on. And then the food hits the dopamine center like a freight train and it's just a vicious combination. And then from there, pharma jumps in and they're like, perfect, you're so sick. You need all these drugs and obesity. No, 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 there's nothing to see over here with the crappy food and you know the sedentary lifestyle, all of that. You have a disease called obesity, which is also mm -hmm. completely insane how that happened and a story unto itself you need these drugs to be better. So as you can see, it's this vicious cycle that we fall into. But the great news is by having some awareness and some knowledge, you can opt out. It's easy to do so. But parents, they're struggling to make ends meet. All that food is cheap, right? It's all subsidized by the government. So 1,500 calories of garbage, is like a dollar. Mm -hmm. But 1,500 calories of healthy food is like $25. So parents are kind of set up to fail and all the institutions of trust are being corrupted by that toxic triad. So they're telling parents like, oh, Cheerios, super duper healthy. Great for your kids. This is what they need. And this is really what's happening. So what about those families that don't have a lot of extra money right now, a lot of Americans yeah. in that spot and they wanna buy Whole Foods and they wanna go buy apples and fruits and vegetables. Number one, it's too expensive. And then as you mentioned, there's been you know plenty of documented cases of the wax on the apples being thick. And, and if they're not yeah. buying organic, even if they are buying organic, it feels like they're not really getting what they're paying for. What is, there's not really a solution, but what would you say is the best solution for parents or just people in that position right. 
that want to do better, but they just don't even know where to start? The key really is better, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be a better option. I recently had to do a trip where I drove across the country. You see like, oh my God, miles for miles, miles, hundreds of miles. And it's nothing but truck stops. And there's a subway or there's an Arby's, there's a McDonald's, there's a gas station. You're like, okay, what, what am I going to eat here? A Starbucks maybe. When you walk into those places though, right? You walk into the Starbucks. Can you get the protein plate with cheese and crackers and apple slices? Is it organic? Is it hormone? Is it perfect? No, but it's a heck of a lot better than the Big Mac, the fries, and the soda. So the first thing we can do with foods that are not ideal is eat less of them. And we've seen this in two different places. One, all these drugs with regard to weight loss are not saying, look at what we're doing for heart health. Isn't this amazing? We're seeing that the numbers for heart disease are going down. There's no mechanism. There's nothing in the drug that's directly impacting heart disease. It's the weight loss. Mm -hmm. So now there's a study called the Twinkie diet by a professor of nutrition named Mark Taub, and he ate nothing but food in food deserts. And I believe it was for, I think two months, but he simply ate less of it. And he lost 27 pounds, his heart health improved, LDL went down, triglycerides went down. So the idea here is that eating less of this stuff helps significantly moving your body, exercise, the number one form of preventative medicine, even if it's a step goal, even if it's just doing squats and lunges and push-ups intermittently throughout your day for a few minutes here, a few minutes there, a couple resistance training sessions a week, these things will make a huge difference. Making the better choice at the Starbucks, at the Subway, even at the McDonald's, the chicken salad, dressing on the side instead of the fries, the soda, leave the soda out. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy for all the reasons we've just talked about, but it is simple and it will work. And when you weigh the pros and cons of obesity or these drugs that you will never get off of, and that's the point because it's so, so profitable, the most profitable classification of drugs in the history of pharmaceuticals. You know, try, try harder, right. try, try for your health, try for your pocketbook, try for all those reasons. And we're gonna get into that lifetime being a slave of big pharma when we talk about the puberty blockers. But, but real quick, I do wanna talk about a, a couple of trends beyond Ozempic and I wanna get your thoughts yeah. on them. Keto, fasting, Intermittent fasting, those are two things, probably the top two after Ozempic that people right. are talking about, at least the influencers are talking about. What's your take on those two? Do they work and do you recommend them? Okay. Intermittent fasting depends on why you're doing it. Um, I wrote a book in 2018 about longevity called The Six Keys, and intermittent fasting absolutely has a host of benefits. If you're doing like the 16, eight, you know, where you don't eat for 16, you eat for eight or even like 14, 10 and so on, a minimum of a 12 hour fast window improves your sensitivity to insulin and it frees your body up to focus on other things. We shouldn't be digesting food all the time. It's not optimal for our health. So there is no question just for those two things, it's beneficial. If we're looking for autophagy, which is where the body can cull dead and senescent tissue, we don't want these things building up in the body. They create inflammation and disease. That's a longer fast window for optimal results. So if you are interested in doing that, 
you'd want to do that like 36 to 48 hours, up to 72 hours for people who are really committed, but you would do it very sparingly, like once a quarter, you know, every three months. And I still, I don't even have the dedication to do it. I keep telling myself, I'm going to do 36 hours in January. So we'll see if I do it this year, but it does have health benefits. It's irrefutable. Um, For weight loss, no. The only reason it would lead to weight loss is because you're skipping a meal. So right. you're cutting back calories. And the reason people fail with intermittent fasting and weight loss is they just pack the same amount of calories <laughs> in that eight-hour window. So then they get really discouraged. It's great for health. If you want to lose weight doing it, then you actually have to skip that meal. So you're cutting out 500 calories each and every day. Keto, I'm not a fan I've never been a fan. If you are a type two diabetic, if you have, you know, a health condition, seizures, something of that nature, you have epilepsy, then talk to your doctor. If your doctor wants to utilize this diet under medical supervision to help with a specific medical condition or a hormone imbalance that is advanced, you you have advanced PCOS, advanced type two diabetes, then to help turn this around quickly, you might wanna do this diet again under medical supervision for a finite period of time, predominantly plant-based. And what I mean is you don't want like a ton of fake meat and fake fat and like bacon. No, clean proteins, lots of vegetables. That's the only way I would ever recommend it. And the reason I would never do it long-term, put simply, you're losing so many nutrients. Like when you look at foods like purple potatoes, you know, we know they're fighting colon cancer. When you look at pomegranate, we know that it's one of the top things you can do to help replenish a little microbe in your gut that fights cancer. Like you're, it's absurd. There's no reason to do it, none. And you're cutting out a ton of nutrients that are really beneficial for your body. It's extraordinarily restrictive. The Mediterranean diet remains arguably the most accessible and the most advantageous diet for human beings everywhere. And what's it doing? It's giving you all three macros in their most ideal form. That's the magic behind the Mediterranean diet. Oh, I wish I had more time to talk about the vegan diet because we have a vegan right here in this very room and it's not oh, me. <laughs> I get it. Listen, I get it because I love I, I love animals and so much of what happens to produce the meat is horrendous. It, it is. It would br- you'll die watching a documentary on it and you're like, I'm never going to eat this again. But ethics and health don't always intersect. If you were a hunter and you were, you know, culling an overgrown deer population, doing it ethically with a clean kill and keeping the meat and by like, then we wouldn't even have the ethics conversation, right? Or if it was all ethical and grown, you know, healthily and grass fed beef and happy pasture-raised chickens. I get it. I get all the ethics and the environment and the animal stuff. Health is a different conversation. And, you know, the reality is if you're going to be vegan, especially as a woman, you really, really have to be diligent about things like your omega-3 fatty acids and the vegetarian sources of omega-3 don't cut it. I'm sorry. And they don't convert to EPA and so on. Effectively, they just don't. You should supplement with B12. You're really not getting any collagen and the list kind of goes on. And as I said, I've tried it because I'm a big animal person. And I become anemic within three months every single time. And I'm really smart about nutrition. This is what I do. I'm actually a certified nutritionist as well. And I can't make it work. 
meaning knowing everything I know and combining all the amino acids for complete proteins. And I, I can't make it work. And I could go on and on and on if you wanted me to. You know, you talk to a dermatologist, they'll tell you burn victims who are vegan don't heal the same way and Ooh. so on and so forth. It's yeah. not ideal for health. Men fare better than women because they don't bleed every month. So they are less inclined to become anemic. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up, Jillian, because there are some <laughs> folks that would say that men do bleed every month, which brings us perfect segue uh, into the next topic. All right. Yeah. I want to talk about these puberty blockers for young people. There's ongoing lawsuits right now with detransitioners who feel like they've been duped by Big Pharma and their doctors into getting on hormones at a young age, puberty blockers, having body parts removed at a young age to fulfill what they believe is their trans identity. Now, right. to me, it's obvious you don't put a minor, a young person on puberty blockers and hormones. But from a health perspective, this is becoming much more common now. What's your biggest fear with this latest trend? This is experimental and dangerous. The question is how dangerous? And we really don't know. So you can speak to a neuroscientist, neuroscientist and a psychiatrist and like, well, the brain is expecting hormones at a certain age. We really kind of don't know what happens when the brain doesn't get them. Right. We do know that there is bone loss and they're like, oh, well, you know, once, once we, once we take you off the puberty blockers and we put you on the hormones, they, they, you're going to catch up. But now studies are showing that kids aren't catching up. They do have significant bone loss. And this means that at 50, you're going to fracture that hip, not 80, right? Which is arguably preventative with exercise and a good diet anyway. But nevertheless, you're, you're also looking at things like fertility. Like we just don't know. And if a child, listen, I'm a true liberal and I, I respect, you know, my, my wife is, you know, a conservative, very conservative like yourself. I respect all positions. I'm open to all conversations. What I mean by saying a true liberal is if, my one of my kids came to me and said, Mom, you know, my son came to me and said, I want to go by Penelope, not Phoenix. And I feel like a woman. I'd say, you know what, sweetheart, let's see how this evolves. If that's what you want, I'll call you Penelope. You want to wear a dress to school, wear a dress to school, right? Like, play it out, honey. Let's see where it goes. I'm thinking, you know, who's the child hurting? Right. Nobody. If he wants to explore this, explore this. If my son came to me and said, I want to do puberty blockers, it would be a non-starter, a no way, because I want his body to develop properly. This is about health. It's a political period. So do you but think so that- Oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you think that there is a space, regardless of political affiliation, do you think there is a space for the government, and I'm a big limited government person, by the way, but do you think that there is a space for the government to come in and say, this cannot be available to minors as- really a preventative measure from what could amount to child abuse, whether their parents believe in it or not. There's a reason that we don't have kids drinking under age 21, hopefully. There's reason you don't have toddlers operating motor vehicles. Is this the place of the government to come in and say, if you are a minor, you are not to receive body altering trans surgeries at that age? Honestly, it would be the place of the doctors. But there's so many doctors that. that are getting that oh, money well, from Big Pharma. I, I've yet to address that and why that's going the way that it's going. Um, but those doctors should be informing policy, right? That's how this should be going. 
Um, and the government is there for a reason. Everything is a system of checks and balances. I mean, they are there to regulate certain things. When things are not regulated, you've got massive monopolies and all this craziness. You know, I'm not an economist, but common sense would dictate to me, you know, if you're if you can't deregulate everything, like in California, it's, we're not criminalizing drugs, right. okay? But should we regulate whether someone can smoke crack on the street in front of my kids? Probably, right? I mean, common sense here. Again, I'm not an expert in this area, but it would seem to me the government is there to do some good and regulate some things and protect us. Not everything. Again, mm -hmm. there's a continuum here. And where each issue gets decided upon with regard to government intervention is not up to me, but the experts who can best inform. In this case, it should be the doctors. Here's what's going on, though. Again, you've got big pharma going in and corrupting our institutions of trust. How? Well, I mean, let's look at organizations like Harvard, for example. You're seeing it not just with puberty blockers. You're also seeing it with these weight loss drugs. They pay for the grants. They're paying for the research. Then the doctors are being paid in consulting fees. And then civil rights groups, and this is arguably the most upsetting in my personal opinion, are being given charitable donations to turn around and say, so for example, the HRC, right? The Human Rights Campaign, which is a big LGBTQ plus civil rights group is being given money from big pharma. Then they create what's called an HEI score, a health equity and inclusion score. And if this organization, some children's hospital is like, oh, God, I don't think we should be doing this. They get a low HEI score, which is kind of like a scarlet letter. Oh, you don't like gays. So, for example, if you turn around and you say, I don't know if this is safe. Like, I'm questioning whether we should be doing this with children. You're a transphobe. And if you turn around and you say, oh, I don't know if we should be giving people these obesity drugs who are not dangerously overweight yet, you're fat phobic and you get labeled by civil rights groups. So everyone is terrified to speak. And we've all, the, the debate is essentially shut down. And that's why, quite honestly, you're not seeing more and more people speak out. And it's a billion dollar business with a compound annual growth rate of about 9%. That's insane. It's a $4 billion business right now that's projected to be a $7 billion business by 2030. Follow the money. And you brought up following the money and following the science. Uh, well, we saw what happened for three years plus during COVID with the vaccines that a lot of doctors maybe had some reservations about, but either they wouldn't speak out because they were pocketing some money off of it, or they wouldn't speak out because they didn't want to be censored, deplatformed, disbarred. I mean, this is a very real thing. And going along with the puberty blockers on the other side of that coin is COVID and the vaccines and the masks and the lockdowns and everything else that was implemented. So when we say just trust the doctors, a lot of us are not trusting doctors. We're not trusting science. We certainly don't trust big pharma. So it would seem uh, like there's got to be somebody in government that can step in on our behalf. I hate to say that, but at least to protect our freedom and our rights at some point, you'd think that would need to you know, be part of it. You should speak to a gentleman by the name of Callie Means. Um, he came out of Harvard Business School and he was a lobbyist 
for big food and big pharma. And he essentially lays out for us in great detail how the politicians are corrupted, how the doctors are corrupted, how the, the medical institutions are corrupted, and why. And that, that's the problem. Even politicians who may want to do the right thing, well, whoever has the most money is going to win that election, right? And they'll go in there and they'll lobby, big food, big pharma. Oh, no, you, you know, you, if you can't do this, you, you got to make sure these drugs are available, these surgeries are available, children will become suicidal if you don't, and then you'll be the politician that's anti-gay and, you know, has forced children into suicide. Like, these tactics go on. I know it sounds very tin hat, but I promise you, sadly, it's very real. What we can do is educate ourselves, right? So are there, is there any long-term clinical trials that show puberty blockers are safe for kids? Nope, there are not. Conversely, is there any question with regard to safety out there? Yes, there is. We don't know how it affects fertility. We do know that it it's, has deleterious effects with bone health. We, do, we don't know how it's gonna affect the development of the child's brain over time. Hmm, is this a risk I want to take? Probably not, right? Like, I, I'm not gonna judge anyone, but I would say on this one, it's a hard no. If you wanna indulge your child in whatever they may be going through, if it's a phase or not a phase, there are other ways of doing that without locking them into permanent yeah it's a permanent potential dangers and it's exactly long and once you start the transition process you are a slave to big pharma for the rest yeah. of your life and that's exactly. even saying that you don't have second thoughts and you want to detransition not entirely possible to detransition once you've cut off body parts once you've been getting hormones i've talked to several detransitioners who yeah. wish they could go back in time, but they can't, and their life will be forever altered. A lot of them on the brink of suicide, not because their gender wasn't affirmed, right. but because nobody stopped them from going down this path. And now they will be in Big Pharma's pocket for the rest of their lives because they cannot stop once they've started. And that's my yeah. biggest concern. It's, and you're absolutely right to be as concerned as you are. Oh, I wish I had more time because um, I, I, I wish I could ask you, you know what? I'm going to ask you just briefly. I don't have a ton of time, but I just have to okay. while I have you. I'll try to be quick. No, I, I want to talk to you about this because it goes right along with that discussion. Here at OutKick, obviously Riley Gaines is a part of our OutKick family. I'm sure you're very well aware of what's going on right now with Title IX and women's sports. So I want to ask you oh, as a powerful yes. female, a powerful yeah. female in the industry, in fitness, a public figure, what do you say to those that say that transgender athletes should compete against women and yeah. that Title IX should be open to anybody and everybody who feels they are a female? Okay. Sports is biological. It just is. And I think that you're starting to actually see women get hurt. So Fallon Fox, for example, is an MMA fighter who is a... Um, a transgender female beating the shit. I don't know. A, a, sorry, forgive me. Bleep me if I'm not like out of biological women. Like this is beyond the fact of fairness. And the, what, what we have trouble with as a society is fairness, right? Everybody wants to be fair. It's not fair. Well, here's the problem. I understand it's not fair to trans athletes because where are they going to compete? It's also not fair to biological female athletes. 
So you got an issue, right? You're not going to be able to be fair to everyone. For me, women, we can't, you can't compete. Like Leah Thomas is six foot one. The percentage of biological females who are six foot one is under 1%. Leah Thomas was number 400 when she swam as a male and number one when she swims as a female. We're going to systematically destroy women's sports. And I'm sorry, I, listen, if you want to be trans, I support you. I, I want you to have all the same rights that I do. But at the end of the day, someone's going to get effed here. And if you're looking at, okay, you've got X amount of trans athletes and X amount of women, you're not going to win this one, right? No one's coming out unscathed. So to me, and here's one that I found really offensive. And I, so I apologize because I can't remember her name, but it was really, really frustrating for me to, to see happen. A female power lifter, a biological female power lifter came out and was furious because a transgender female broke the power lifting record of 250 pounds that women have been chasing since the inception of women in powerlifting. Took the prize money. That's the other thing is there's money here. There's scholarships here that are being taken from women. And there's not enough money for women in sports as it stands, right? So she speaks out and she's like, this is not okay. Like we've been chasing this record for decades. You can't do this. And then she got suspended for two years. I could not believe it. Sometimes it's like up is down and right is left and black is white. It is just madness. So listen, as I said, I support equal rights for all transgender people, but sadly sports is biological and biological males on hormone blockers or not are still far stronger, taller, more muscle mass than a biological woman. And women are getting hurt and it's taking opportunities and money away from biological women. It just, it just is. That's the truth. Do you see as many female athletes feel, do you think that it's offensive to women that we now have to use these terms like the biological females, the cisgender this? Mm, I'm personally offended because I'm not a cisgender. I'm a woman. <laughs> if you think you're a woman, that's fine. <laughs> But to me, and, and Riley Gaines talks about this a lot, but it's the language that we've been forced to use, where even when you were describing it, you had to say, well, the biological male who's a transgender female, and then the biological right. females feel upset. It's like, this is a man competing against a woman. Whether he feels like he's a woman or not, he is still a man. And we use these terms. And as a female who thought that the feminist movement was fighting for me and my rights to now have to call myself cisgender or else be called transphobic, I personally find that to be BS. Okay. Again, I'm going to say there's a continuum here. You should not have to refer to yourself as cisgender at all. But if a person who is trans asks me to refer to them as a transgender woman, I'm happy to do it. I, I also think there is an inherent differentiation there because it's like, well, biological, meaning <clears throat> I'm born a woman and transgender, I transitioned into a woman. I changed my body and I took hormones. I, for me, I think it's, it's like, okay, there is an inherent difference here. I don't judge the difference, but we're simply saying, okay, one human being started out like this and stayed like this. One human being started out like that and went this way. And you can say, all right, I, I see the differences. Um, but I also think as a person who fought to get rid of labels, like that was my whole generation was the love is love, one race human. 
And now you're watching Gen Z like, oh, you got my label wrong. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? (laughs) Like, I'm, I'm willing to call you by whatever label you want because I don't care. If that's what you want and that's, you find that to be, am I respecting you by doing so? Consider it done. But if you don't want to be called a cis woman, nor do I even know, I don't even get it. I, I, I don't think you should ever have to be, and you shouldn't have to subscribe to that at all. Nobody should. Right. Period. And I can't even, I, my kids get like, they try to talk to me about pronouns. I made my daughter watch a documentary on North Korea. I was like, honey, if this is the shit that's going to rub you the wrong way, <laughs> I think, think you need some perspective. You know, I it's think like, you're exactly right because the pronoun craze and the sensitivities and the define, redefining of words, it's exhausting. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me, for running the gamut on all of our conversations. Oh I've had a blast. I really appreciate it. We really hope to have you back. A very happy new year to you, and please do come back so we can continue the conversation. Much more to discuss. Thank you so much. It's absolutely mutual. My wife would kill me if I did not tell you. I'm also a fan, but she's a huge fan. And she's like, make sure you tell her I'm a huge fan. So just so you know, well, I really we're huge fans that. of yours in this house. That Thank you for everything. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much for having the guts to come on with a openly conservative woman on a openly Love conservative it. network and OutKick channel. So we appreciate it. And please do come back. Would love it. Have a great one. Thank you. You as well.